Happy Friday, everyone. Today is September 20th, and this is episode 51 of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things Doxis. I'm Brady Volp, founder of Nimble This and the Volp Firm. With us today is John Downey, who promises to strike a pose for anyone who comes up to him at this year's Cable Tech Expo. Also with us is Rich Maroney, product line manager of Coaxial Cable with PPC. So guys, great to have you with us on our show. Um, Good to see you. First, to start off, uh, John, you're new to our show. So, or sorry, Rich, you're new to our show. (laughs) Good to to have you with us. Thanks for joining. Yeah, great to be here. So, thank you. Rich, where are you from? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, in Syracuse, New York, uh, or, you know, PPC headquarters up here in uh, upstate New York. Uh, A little bit about my background is a background in mechanical engineering. Uh, I've been working with PPC for about three or so years now. Started in the drop connector product line, worked on a lot of the different F connectors we have here. Uh, Also got to create some great experience with our construction hardware, hardline connectors, and uh, a lot of our in-house test lab. And after uh, doing engineering for about two years, moved over to our product management side of things and have been now uh, managing our coaxial cable line here at PPC. All right. Excellent. Thank you, John. Um, so I wasn't sure you're going to be on the show today. Glad to have you with us. I guess you're doing a little traveling. Yep. Yep. I took a little vacation at the beach. Awesome. Uh, enjoy it before uh next hurricane comes through. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, your beach house was okay with the last, uh, with Dor- I think it was Dorian that came through up, up the East coast. Yeah. Yeah. Wilmington didn't get hit really at all. So uh, we got lucky. So glad to be back, and uh, hopefully my connection is not too bad, or I don't get knocked offline. Yeah, yeah, well, it's good for us, and your connection's good because we do get a lot of complaints, man. <laughs> you, you get some fiber out your way. Um, so today's show, we're going to be talking about back to basics on connectors. Um, before we get into that, I uh, want to give a couple shout outs. One is to um, the SETE North Country chapter. I was up there last week and gave a presentation on DOCSIS 3.1. So everyone up there was absolutely fantastic. So a uh, great chapter and uh, had a good time up there in the morning. So thanks for everyone's hospitality there. Um, also want to give a shout out to uh, Broadband Library Magazines. Um, the latest issue that I have an article in there I, I want to plug, uh, which is uh, High Latency Doxis is Killing You. Uh, it's also on their online edition, broadbandlibrary.com, so I recommend that you read it. Uh, I've been doing actually a lot of talking with operators lately, and particularly the operators that are have overbilled with fiber. They are really seeing gamers who are uh, you know really choosing to maybe go to fiber because the latency may not be higher, are um, you know maybe the same as Doxis, but at least it's more stable because Doxis we can really see the latency going up and down. And it's really critical for first-person shooter games, live-action games, stuff like that. And uh, the demographics for gamers, people who invest money, it's not really 11-year-olds anymore. It's people that are in their um, 20s, 30s, 40s, even are spending a lot of time, and they're the decision makers of what internet uh, they will choose between you know such as like fiber or coax and a lot of times if the latency is lower that will make them choose fiber over coax so having a lot of discussions with operators right now over that and that's something you know latency we were focused on originally was 5g and now it's gaming actually seems to be the the more killer opportunity killer opportunity with gaming and uh if the latency is bad you will die in a in a live action game so <laughs> it's pretty, pretty 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 interesting stuff and the demographics are amazing on it so recommend you read my article and uh uh maybe talk of on a, on a later opportunity on that so. so so you say it's not sometimes it's not really the latency per se but the changing latency which would be jitter yeah yes so it, the inconsistency exactly. Yeah. For instance, I mean, I've seen on some fiber networks where the latency is 75 milliseconds, but at least it's a stable 75 milliseconds. So you can kind of predict and shoot ahead of the guy that's running that you're trying to shoot. Whereas if, if that latency is jumping from 75 to 15, 100, which we see a lot in the DOCSIS networks, that can be much more problematic because you, you just can't predict it of what's going to happen. So. I like to st- I like to stay steady latency as a as a gamer myself <laughs> over unpredictable <laughs> latency. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Back onto the topic. Um, so from a PM standpoint, uh, I spend a lot of time in the field with customers and we identify homes that have, you know, they're identified as a red subscriber because they're having issues. And a lot of times we get there and we find out there's bad connectors on the home. And it could be one of these crimp on type connectors that maybe a customer got at Radio Shack and did their own wiring. Uh, a lot of times, though, we find out it's it's a nice compression type connector. Uh, and that connector was improperly terminated. And sometimes it's easy to see that, you know, well, yeah, it was not properly terminated, wasn't properly crimped, wasn't properly put on well. Many times we see connectors where it's just not easy to, to visibly see why that connector um, was put on incorrectly. And so that's why we ask um, Rich to come on today from PPC and maybe help us understand what some of those issues are that we're seeing. You know, why is it a connector is not always uh, a good connector, even though it looks like it's put on there well. And um, yeah. so, you know, Rich, I'll open it up to you and maybe you can help now na start navigating this conversation into why is it a connector is not always connectorized properly and why does that cause micro reflections? Why does that cause issues with the modems and things like that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's a, a great transition in is, is essentially, uh, you know, step one is, is having the right uh, equipment for the job there of having, you know, make sure you have a good uh, source of your cable using adequate connectors, not a, you know, old school crimp or hex crimps or anything along those lines. Uh, and then even in addition to that is a lot of the prep tools. So that is essentially setting yourself up for success. Uh, making sure you have sharp blades on your prep tools, making sure your compression tool isn't uh, worn out or anything like that. And, uh, you know, a nice clean cut on the cable. So all those basics really set the the framework for uh, a good connector installation. Uh, and, and with that, we, you know, as, as many people have seen, uh, is that those poor connections can kind of wreak havoc on the entire system there. So we've done uh, a lot of field research, you know, self-included, spend a lot of time out in the field, get to work directly with, you know, technicians and the subscribers and, and see, you know, what's truly causing these issues. Uh, and through, you know, a lot of those field write-outs, we've actually been able to quantify uh, different types of issues and actually start to rank them and see uh, what are the most common issues and how those then affect the system. So from our side of things, uh, the number one thing we actually see as a craft error is that the connector is not properly tightened onto the port. Uh, you know, it's the, seem like it could be the, the simplest of things, kind of the final step of, you know, just make sure the connector is tightened on there, but there's a lot of other factors that can happen. Maybe a subscriber were to move a TV or something like that in the room. So a lot of different variables could occur. Yeah. So there you're just talking about loose connectors, right? I mean, the connector yeah, needs to be tight. Yeah. However, I think when we talk about loose connectors, we also then sometimes struggle into people who may over tighten the connector. So do you recommend like, how do we know yes, what, yeah. what is too tight and what is too loose when we get to tightening connectors? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So when, whenever you're using a uh, device within the house, like a set top box or modem is for that, those ones will be finger tight onto a, a device. However, when you're at wall plates or maybe even out at a uh, tap in the pedestal or out in line, uh, those ones you always, uh, at best, want to make sure you use a torque wrench, you know, 30 inch pounds, make sure it snaps there uh, and, and ensure that that is adequately tightened onto the port. Uh, and the other side, like you mentioned, is tightening it too much is that tightening it, you know, well beyond what it's meant to and uh, exceeding that torque limit, you could potentially either damage the port, damage the connector. And uh, that's something you might not even be able to see at first and, and uh, you know, taking that little bit extra step to make sure it's tight, we go a little bit too far in there. So that's where, uh, from our side of things, recommend using a torque wrench and that you can uh, properly secure the connector to the device it's going to. Cool. Yeah. So, do, I mean, do you, do you guys provide torque wrenches or do you, do you see that they're actually used in the field? I've never yeah, really seen so a tech using a torque wrench before, yeah. so... <laughs> Yeah, so so some of those we'll, we'll provide uh, within our Tools for Life program is essentially when a customer uh, purchases exclusively all of their cable and connectors through us, we do provide them with a uh, compression tool, uh, prep tool with any blades, and then uh, on occasion, uh, we will distribute some torque wrenches. Uh, a lot of texts will, you know, some will use those, some will just go with, you know, finger tight and a quarter turn with a wrench after that. Everyone's got their own preference there, but... Uh, Ideal state is is a torque wrench. So, okay. 
Yeah. Cool. So that's loose connectors. So what um, it has to be more than just loose connectors because I, I tightened a lot yeah, of connectors yeah, yeah. and it didn't fix the problem. Yeah, exactly. And that's where they're definitely <laughs> in place. You know, like our for, from the PPC standpoint is is the continuity connectors are a plus. Any uh, any of the connectors ending with the plus side of things is that you know they do have a continuity member in there. You can keep your continual ground going from the port to the nut through the cable, uh, which is a great thing. Uh, but we always still encourage the the tightening of the connector. Uh, the next most common one is actually in the prep side of things. So jumping from you know the end install back to the basics of it. So the number one thing there we actually see is actually too long of a center conductor. So sometimes, um, you know, people may either use a prep tool without a stopper on the end or, you know, remove that stopper to make sure they can get an adequately long center conductor. And then after installing on the connector, we'll either leave that center conductor long, maybe kind of eyeball it, cut it to length. Uh, and, and many people might think, you know, if anything, it's, it's long, it's going to go into that port and, you know, hit that contact. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then the damage there is actually it can bottom out and essentially uh, buckle that center conductor and permanently flare open uh, the contacts in there. So I know John mentioned before the, the risk there, once you get the, you know, the clamshell or the duckbill contacts there, if you permanently flare open one of those, next time a tech goes through with a, uh, it could be a perfectly prepped cable and connector, they're gonna install it and you're actually gonna have a gap there so you won't get that constant contact. All from uh, what, what what is typical center conductor past the flush flush with the F connector? Is it should be an eighth of an inch? Yeah, so and, and that's a, another very common measure is a lot of techs will say, you know, um, is it, you know, the height of a, a coin? Is it, uh, you know, a, a visible thing right there? And, and I usually go back to essentially just emphasis on the initial prep. So when you prep the connector, we usually say go with a quarter, quarter, quarter prep, so three-quarter inch measurements there so a quarter inch for center conductor a quarter inch for your uh foil electric in a foil and a quarter inch for the braid being folded back so the spec i believe sets i think a quarter inch to 325 or something along those lines um so you, you definitely can eyeball it after that uh, but the risk standpoint there is uh just making sure your dielectric is flush with the post and then you know you can get a few variables added into it so when, when that question comes up i usually circle back to uh just the emphasis on the initial prep of the cable yes yeah, so okay. and we're talking about 59 and 6 right not necessarily mini coax right so with mini coax it's it should be along those same lines of length i believe um i know from from our connector standpoint we do have a, a basket that will receive that center connector and then that will drive a, a pin internally, move that pin within the connector. So we'll still utilize those same dimensions. Uh, same thing on the 11s as well. Um, but if you did have a full feed through, then that, that could possibly change. Okay. Yeah, so you mentioned like the quarter, quarter, quarter. If you're using a standard prep tool to strip a, a piece of uh, coax cable, whether it's uh, 59, 6, or 11, that's mm -hmm. going to do that for you, right? Because um, I, Correct. I yeah. still see some guys out there with you know just strippers or whatever, not 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 a, not a common piece of uh, stripping uh, equipment that has like the dual razor blades and stuff inside. Um, so what, yeah, I mean, what's your recommendation from that? Uh, kind of getting off connectors a little bit, but I think the prep is no, important no. as a connector. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So for that, um, and we do distribute prep tools, and that's your traditional prep tool um, with the, the plastic, uh, housing of two blades, those inserts, those are fixed blades. Uh, and that's great from the standpoint of not only fixing the kind of the axial length to get through those quarter, 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 but also for fixing your uh, height to make sure, you know, you don't cut too deep and score a center conductor. Maybe you don't cut the jacket enough. You could cut braid. Um, so that's what we really recommend is, is a really nice, uh, fixed blade. And uh, you know, replace those whenever they get dull, uh, depending on usage, usually in the three to six month range is ideal. Uh, sometimes can stretch those a little bit longer. Um, but, you know, like like anything, a nice, nice sharp blade is always great to have. Yeah. So we had someone write in uh, on a podcast I did a, not too long ago about um, scoring the center conductor and sheath currents. Yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. from like an RF standpoint, we you know, RF guys kind of understand sheath currents, but is that something to be concerned about with connectors and high signal powers from cable modems? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great, uh, you know, question on that standpoint is, is if a blade were to cut too deeply and you go past the copper portion of a, a center conductor being copper clad steel, uh, if you cut through that, I usually kind of use the analogy of uh, you're almost kind of cutting off the highway there. Is that that signal is going to uh, travel along that copper of the center conductor or the outermost diameter portion of it. And, uh, you know, scoring that center conductor can, uh, you know, potentially damage or, or cut your signal there. Especially on so it's not, they probably need to like reword that, uh, Brady. It's not sheath current, it's skin effect. Skin, oh, skin effect. Skin My skin apologies, effect. yes. Right? And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, so skin effect, we know the higher frequencies travel closer to the edge of the cable, right? Yep. Correct. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think that's, I mean, I think it's important to bring that up because unless you really understand or have been exposed to like RF signals before and understand how they travel as a mm-hmm. skin effect. So they're, they're riding on the very outside of that piece of coax that, that, that or not the coax, but the center conductor, that you know, little pine, mm-hmm. little tiny piece of coax or center conductor, that piece of copper running through. So people don't realize when they're nicking that they're actually causing and put the connector on, they're actually causing themselves issues later on that they might not realize, you know, they're going to, they could end up visiting that subscriber's house. And it's really hard to see once that connector's put on that there's a nick in that piece of copper, a little center copper there. And, um, and those cause micro reflections. And so it's like an unintended consequence. You don't realize you're doing it, but yeah, it could cause revisits back to that house. If you're using proactive net- network maintenance, PNM, those are going to cause those houses to maybe be yellow or even red in color. And now you're back revisiting and trying to understand, oh, well, you know, why isn't the modem having issues and, and why am I seeing reflections? Absolutely, yeah. And, and that's one of those things where if you, you think about, you know, if you're, if you're ever uh, questioning, you know, is that a score there? Anything is, you know, just cut a little bit back on the cable and, you know, reprep it from there, you know, invest another, you know, 30 seconds or so in prep saves you that, that trouble call or, uh, you know, retruck roll, like you, you mentioned. You know, the, the reason why I brought up the mini coax is when we Cisco started first utilizing mini coax MCX connectors, the, uh, and I asked you about the dimensions of the, the dielectric and the center connector. And we had prepped, pre-fabricated cables, like jumper cables, with MCX on one end and S-connectors on the other end. So a customer said, well, I don't need uh, three meters. Let's cut it down to one meter so I don't have to bind it up and it fits in the end, whatever. I said, well, I'm happy and I'm fine with you prepping your own S-connector side, but I didn't want customers messing with the MCX side because our original MCX design was one-eighth, one-quarter which meant it was one-eighth of dielectric exposed and then one-quarter for the center conductor. So there's two problems here with mini coax. One, it's so small, the center conductor is not copper-clad steel. The center conductor is solid copper. So you really should treat mini coax like fiber because you really could bend it a bunch of times and potentially break the center conductor. Um, Or you might just step on it and crush it and change the impedance where you crush the cable. The other one would be if you try to make your own MCX connector, termination, if you will, uh, pulling back the dielectric one-eighth of an inch was super tough. And sometimes it, the, the outer sheath braid would wrap around the center conductor and you wouldn't realize it because your stripping tool was dull. So, I mean, it, it took a little bit more diligence, I guess you could say, to make sure you made the MCX properly. Now, we redesigned some of our MCX that now we can accept a different MCX connector so we can do it one quarter, one quarter. So it makes it easier. But yeah, MCX uh, takes a little bit more diligence, I guess, than say an F connector. You know, putting on an F connector. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially when you get down to those small sizes, is, is uh, you know all those little measurements and paying uh, attention to the craft is definitely important. Okay. So we talked about loose connectors. We've talked about. Um, uh, cutting the the uh the actual coax itself for the center conductor on there um yeah. so what are the things we're looking at yeah yeah like actually perfectly transitioning and like john just mentioned is the uh the braid removed during the uh prep of that so we've seen um sometimes if you have a dull blade is that will actually wrap the braid it won't cut it it'll wrap it around the center conductor and you're essentially shorting out your signal when that happens so if you envisioned uh when you prep a cable you have your center conductor and then your braid and then your jacket. But if you had one of those uh, 
strands of the braid wire, the same length as the center conductor, but then just wrapped around really short, pushed up back against the dielectric is, you, you know, you could possibly miss that. What that happens, then tying back to the skin effect, is you have that signal traveling along the, along the center conductor and short that out and go right to the braid right from there and essentially uh, kind of uh, mess with that signal a bit. So, you know, keeping back with the, the, uh, the sharp fixed blade and that, that could potentially mitigate that. But, uh, you know, just when you're finished prepping, take a quick look and make sure all that braid is, you know, clean, folded back. And, uh, you know, on the flip side of that is if you had a, a long piece of braid folded back, goes along the jacket, actually is a, a potential of a leak path if you have an outdoor connector uh, for any moisture able to go in there. So when that connector were to compress and try and seal uh, between the connector and the jacket is you have some braid strands sticking out the back, allows for water ingress to get right into there. And then that's going to, you know, of course, road within the cable and, you know, potentially get into the, the port that your connector is attached to. I've, I've even seen people pull the braid back and trim it up like they're giving it a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that's kind of changing the mechanical advantage of the connector and how you crimp it or how you compress it on because you're yeah. losing some of that, that hardware that's supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And what about, what about the, the aluminum foil? Have you seen people like actually pull the foil back with the braid? Uh, I, so with ours, it's pretty well in, in what I've seen for most cable in the U S uh, internationally, it, it does have some lower bonding forces, but, uh, with the innermost layer of foil, uh, bonded to the dielectric, usually it's pretty, pretty darn tough to get that off of that. Um, you know, it shouldn't be able to be removed with a fingernail or anything. Uh, however, if you are doing a, you know, a tri shield or a quad shield and that second outer layer of foil, uh, if that's not properly removed. Um, that can definitely make it very difficult to install the connector properly. Uh, so that one, you want to remove that foil entirely right up to the jacket. Um, so yeah, we have seen some people, uh, you know, try and fold it back just with the braid there. Uh, and then once we, you know, kind of walk them through that and explain, you know, you can just remove that, uh, the tape piece of that, it, you know, of course the connector goes on a bit easier then. Cool. And uh, you made one uh, comment about the if the braid is sticking out below the connector, that is, that will yeah. allow water to leak up in. That's actually something I've not heard of before. No. Um, so, so what what's your recommendation there? Just make sure that there's no braid sticking out. But how do you know if the braid's like kind of right on the edge of the connector? Uh, where, yeah, you yeah. Know, that seems like it could be a condition. It's hard to it's hard to see. But now now you've left ingress going up into the connector. What what are your recommendations there? Yeah, yeah. So the same thing, sticking with the same theme is going back to that first prep is uh, just making sure that when the after the blade preps that cable is that the uh, braid is going essentially right straight up to the uh, dielectric there. So you have a quarter inch of braid uh, before you fold that back. And then if you do have any uh, longer braid pieces, you can either, you know, cut the cable and reprep or, you know, give it a little bit of a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> Go through there and make sure you're you're set prior to uh, installing the the connector on. Cool. That's that's an interesting one there because I mean corrosion is one of the things we talk about frequently that happens on uh, a lot of different devices that will definitely cause micro reflections. But obviously, if you get water ingressing it in up into that underside of the connector, you're going to get corrosion there, and then you're going to get yeah. micro reflections. So yeah. Yeah, that's a good piece of information. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and another thing um, in that in that same area is uh you know the next next point is the uh the proper compression of the connector uh and making sure you're using the the correct tools with those um so when you want to actually you know make sure the compression is uh complete you're getting a good seal not only from a moisture standpoint but also from a retention standpoint you want to make sure that the cable is not going to just you know yank out of the connector and you're still meeting all the you know sct specs of those retentions um, yeah, it really goes back to just making sure you have a good compression tool. Uh, you know, our one in, in the Tools for Life program will use a, a straight uh, kind of a lever action to make sure that it drives it and compresses it properly. Uh, and in those ones, it's also making sure you have the correct compression length. So you have the, you know, the traditional and the XL lengths or uh, 18 and 21 millimeters, I believe it is, uh, making sure that you're not, you know, swapping that with the tool. So if you were to have a short connector using a XL compression, 
It's not actually going to compress the connector entirely, and that'll leave a uh, the ability for moisture to get in as well as the uh, cable to be pulled out easily. And then on the opposite end, if you uh, are using a shorter compression tool but a longer connector, and uh, you're someone who's very determined to get that full compression of the tool, uh, you could risk uh, damaging the connector that you're installing. So I have one compression tool, and I use that yeah. for all the. <laughs> I use that for every connector that I have. Yeah. Uh, how do you know what compression tool goes with what size connector then? Because I'm kind of understanding yeah. you're saying that there's there should be certain compression tools that go with certain types of connectors to make sure it's always compressed right. Is that is that what you're right. saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and and there are um, yeah, what we've seen is very it's regional. So usually uh, within a very large region of the U.S., one will prefer you know longer XL. Uh, compression lengths, other regions may prefer the shorter of that. Uh, from the PPC side, our XL connectors that will actually say XL on the uh, little black plastic body. So you can just look at that connector and know, you know, yes, this is the XL length. Um, and, and also they're they're designed well enough to where you could, you should have a pretty good uh, understanding of if you go to compress that, something doesn't really feel right or look right. Or if, you know, if it's a, if you're using a larger compression length or a shorter connector, you might see a gap there. And there's an indicator um, where you kind of are able to visually see that. Um, so, and then likewise on all the other different uh, connectors out there that are available is, is usually you can get a pretty good feel for that. Um, and as well as the information on the bag should, should provide what that uh, the length of the connector is or uh, denote if it is a shorter length or a longer length. All right. John, sound like you're going to say something there. Yeah, I'm going to laugh at you, Brady. Because <laughs> I just have one. <laughs> so, so the the big thing coming up now, I think, would be extended spectrum doxis going to higher frequencies. I assume most of these connectors are good to way past three gigahertz. Uh, Richard, what what's your thing? What's your thoughts on this? Yeah, so our, our official stance is, yep, right out to that that three gig standpoint. Um, of course, with you know, we've got a, a great in-house test lab here. We've we've uh, run them out past that. Um, for for right now, is what we're really seeing is customers calling just for that that three uh, gig standpoint. So that's what we will uh, go to. But it's it's definitely a great point of of where the future is going and, and making sure these will uh, last beyond that three gig standpoint. Yeah, it's and, and with even though most people are worried about higher frequency, you know, problems in coax and cable can be very frequency dependent. Do you see any like return loss or problems at different frequencies we wouldn't think of? You know, we're we're trying to maybe push the two oh four megahertz on the upstream. Mm-hmm. I assume, you know, a passive connector, if done with good craftsmanship, should have no problems from from DC zero all the way up past three gigahertz. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's where is as long as you're, you know, doing all of the great proper initial steps is is as this progresses forward, it, it, you know, good connector, good cable, great craft is is you should be, you know, good solid connection going through there and performance wise as well. And I know we're talking about connectors mostly, but you deal with uh, the cable side as well. Yes. Yep. Not just okay. And are you seeing anything in the industry pushing? more bigger coax like more rg11 since we're going to 1.2 gig or maybe 1.719 1.8 gig or maybe three gig have you seen designs or anything going with bigger coax yeah so and with that is we've you know uh with the product offerings yeah we got the 59 mini 6 and and the 11 series is we have seen uh, a lot of increased usage on the 11 side. A lot of that is um, the emphasis with, you know, green fields and doing a lot of pedestals, a lot of new burial routes of those ones. Uh, from a performance standpoint, I haven't seen anything too dramatically uh, different yet. I know the the 1.2 gig standpoint, that was, I think, over the past few months was the official uh, release of that one. And, and we are looking at that. But, yeah, so 11 series is still definitely going strong and well and, and used out in the field. Obviously, for frequency and uh, length, right? Yeah, yeah, length, length okay. of the run. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, Rich, uh, are there other things that, uh, from the connector standpoint, we should be concerned about? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then um, kind of to tie to those those long runs or those outdoor usage is when uh, for those aerial runs using a, a messenger cable is the the proper separation of the messenger from the uh, the cable itself is, is a common one. Uh, so the uh, best case for that is you as usually tear uh, you know down and towards you. So if you were to uh, you know separate that, it's going to keep that material between the uh, messenger and the coax cable. Uh, and the worst case there is doing a, almost like a zipper or a Y formation. Uh, and that right there, if you think of it, it's essentially stretching that material. And the worst case is if a cable were to be, uh, maybe it's an older cable that's been in the field and uh, from a long time ago, it wasn't as UV resistant. It's a little more of a brittle jacket. You could actually rip that jacket away. And then uh, all your careful prep of making sure there wasn't any uh, braid out the back of the connector and making sure it was properly compressed. Well, you'll actually have a tear in the jacket itself uh, from the improper removal of the messenger from that. So that's one we will commonly see. Commonly see. Um, usually, it's it's on uh, you know older cables that weren't uh, as strongly resilient to the UV exposure. And uh, you know, tech were just to you know cut off the old connector and install a new one. You can see that sometimes. So it's something we always make sure that you you know properly tear it essentially down and towards uh, the cable side of things. Yeah, so when you say down and towards, you're like, you're saying pull it back kind of as close as you kind can to the cable. You're kind of like wrapping it back yeah. rather than pulling it away. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Once you go with the cable as pulling away, um, you don't want to stretch that out and, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, the old wishbone of pulling it and see which end wins. Right. Uh, this ensure that, you know, it's, it's uh, continuous and you're not ripping any uh, jacket material that you don't want to rip from there. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then um, the, ne the next one is actually kind of uh, going back internally to the cable is uh, dielectric damage and making sure, you know, have a nice clean impedance of 75 ohms going through is that uh, sometimes, you know, uh, if, if someone's concerned about uh, fitting the dielectric through the center post of a connector, they might pinch the dielectric a little bit, thinking it will funnel itself in better there. Uh, and that can actually ruin, you know, like John mentioned before, the impedance side of things of that uh, cable is if you have the dielectric shape and uh, diameter uh, damaged throughout that. So here you're just saying you're pushing the dielectric through the connector now, too far through the yep. connector, rather than flush with, a, with the uh, front face of the connector that's on there. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Also, also that, and then also the the diameter of that dielectric or that foam. Uh, if someone were to uh, pinch that and shrink that diameter, then yeah. And what would be the reason that they're pinching it and shrinking it? Yeah, so some people say uh, if they if they aren't able to uh, easily you know center it up and line it in, they might think oh it's a little bit of a easier almost a funnel or a taper uh, right there. Um, that one's a little bit less less common, but uh, we've we've certainly seen it. Or if you had a uh, a prep tool that maybe didn't have a, a proper stopping and you push too hard could could also compress on there. Then you also link that to, you know, scoring of center connectors, cutting of braid, and, uh, other risk factors like that. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, I've seen the two cases where either the, the, the dielectrics pushed too far through the connector or the dielectrics <laughs> recessed in a connector. And, and both of those cases cause like, it seems like they cause grounding issues of some sort where I see micro reflections at that point. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's another great one too. Is that uh, especially when they are are short of the post, or if they were go to uh, go too long, uh, some compression tools will uh, kind of push that dielectric back flush with the post when compressing it. Uh, but then you are actually leading to a longer center conductor if you think about it. But that way, of head your quarter quarter quarter, you push that dielectric back that quarter inch of center conductor just grew quite a bit longer relative to the dielectric front. Yeah. 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 And, and also with that is, is making sure that uh, any adhesive or leftover dielectric is removed from the center conductor. Uh, that can cause an intermittent signal between the center conductor and the uh, internal contacts of the port you're going into. Uh, so sometimes if the cable had too much adhesion between the center conductor and the dielectric, you need a little bit of uh, foam left there. Uh, we've seen, you know, people say, oh, you know, we can just scrape it off with a knife. 
course, definitely don't want to do that. That was going to be my question. How, what's the best way to remove it without scratching that center conductor and uh, impacting the, the uh, skin, skin effect, John? Am I, is that the right one? Yeah. 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 I said sheath current before. It's skin effect. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, great question there. And, and our, our two most common responses are, if you can get it off with your fingernail, go with that, or use a, a plastic credit card and kind of scrape it off from there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. of course, you don't want to use anything uh, that can damage it. Copper is naturally very soft, so you can risk damaging it if you use anything uh, harder or metal objects to remove it. All right, very good. I've seen where that, that uh, adhesion, almost like a little glue or whatever, yeah. Would would it manifest itself as almost like a six dB pad? I'm like, where is this extra six dB of modem transmit level coming from? Meaning my modem was transmitting six dB higher, and it was acting like an attenuator at certain frequencies, like in the lower end, and mm-hmm. and maybe it's because the higher frequencies could jump across. I, I don't know if it had anything to do with the higher frequency radiation, uh, how it works. But uh, it was only affecting my lower frequencies. So it was very interesting that uh, something as simple as the dielectric adhesion or the, that glue was causing this problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that just, I mean, again, it just reiterates the fact that these, you know, small, small things that if we do wrong when we're putting our connectors on create havoc later on, it's really difficult to find. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where I always go back to is, you know, just spend that little bit of prep work and time up front uh, saves you. It's a whole lot shorter than, you know, going back and revisiting the house, too. So, yeah. Hey, you, so, Richard, you mentioned the, you know, the, the not Siamese cable, but the messenger cable. What about drip loops? Yeah. So, uh, essentially, when, when dropping that down and in, in, uh, most commonly going to, I'm guessing you're referring to like a, you know, a ground block mounted to the side of a house doing a drip loop yep. run. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when doing that uh, best practice, of course, use uh, all the proper hardware uh, to fix the cable properly. So, you know, use a, a drop clamp to be able to attach and lash the messenger cable around that. That'll support it. Uh, if anything, like a, a branch or something were to drop on that, then you run that cable down along the side of the house to a ground block as you want to do the drip loop formation, which is essentially kind of go down then go back to a curve to take your turn as opposed to just doing that curve there. Uh, and that ensures you don't have any uh, residual water dripping down into that. Uh, now, if you're, you know, properly installed and, and the connector is all there, it should steal properly. This is just another great uh, uh, kind of redundant safety feature when installing that is to kind of do a, a loop down and around before going into a ground block. Would it, would it be a problem to do a, a complete circular, instead of an actual like loop, some people might just put it in a roll? Okay. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. So I usually say, you know, you kind of go down, you go from 12 to 6, and then back from 6 to 9 to 12, and out at 3 kind of thing from that rotation of that. Uh, but, yeah, we have seen some people do that same just loop right in there. Um, you know, of, of course, you know, some situations you have to make it work from there, but the kind of the ideal state is, is to do that, that rotation. Now, since you're on the cable side and the, the connector side, have you seen any usage of um, the, the clamp-on ferrites to stop sheath currents and, um, and noise? No, so uh, essentially kind of uh, clamping around, clamshelling around the uh, exterior of the cable? Correct. Correct. You know, uh, there was a couple of vendors making, I think, Signal Vision or one of those guys was making a, a clamp on ferrite. The mm-hmm. idea would be the same as, you know, taking coax and making a common mode choke where you can yeah. roll the coax up in maybe seven turns about the size of a coffee can. Uh, according to Ron Raddick, <laughs> you know, and you can basically make uh, an induction type of field. Uh, I think that's what it would be. That could be part of the right-hand rule. Um, but then they came out with this little ferrite that would clamp around the coax itself to help stop any type of sheath current, which could cause maybe hum, uh, some type of hum modulation or ground loops. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I haven't seen too much of that uh, put out in the field. I know within our 
Uh, we have another uh, uh, portion of PVC doing the, the entry units and the amplifiers that has, uh, you know, created some products mostly linked around more of the kind of set-top box and modem realm over there to help with that and create a, a similar feature. But in terms of the, you know, the, the six series cable or uh, especially running outdoors, I haven't, haven't seen too many of those. Okay. Yeah. And, and they very well could be just, you know, just, just haven't seen them. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. No, I've definitely heard of the loops before, but um, I don't, I don't see them used very often. And I, I think on the hum mod side, that was something that we were, we were doing probably earlier uh, before digital channels became as, as popular, John, but I just, I don't see people doing the loops that much anymore. So I think, I think though, if you're above the equator, you have to do the loops going to the right. And if you're below the equator, you have to do them to the left. <laughs> Otherwise they just don't work. Yeah. The, the, the Coriolis effect. The Coriolis effect always kicks in. Yeah. Reverses your signal or something like that. Exactly. The electrons just get confused when they're going, you know. It's, yeah. So. <laughs> so, all right. Any uh, other items, Rich, that um, yeah. you want to bestow yeah, upon us? <laughs> yeah, keeping in that kind of same realm of the, um, you know, the external use and the, and the drip loop side of things is, is making sure you're uh, properly sealing the connector. So if you're using a connector outdoors, uh, using a proper weather seal there, whether it's a uh, integrated weather seal into the connector and it's built in so you can just install it uh, traditionally, uh, or if it's a external uh, weather boot or fitting there, is making sure that that is uh, installed onto the port. Uh, making sure the port is a uh, outdoor port. And the way you can tell that is you'll have a uh, smooth sealing surface there with an adequate amount of room for the seal to sit. Uh, an indoor port will traditionally just have the threads go all the way back to the hex or whatever uh, the end point of that port is. So you always want to make sure you have the, the correct port with the sealing surface. Uh, then be able to install a, uh, a weather seal or a boot onto that or use a uh, connector with an integrated weather seal. Um, some of our Aquatite ones, for example. Uh, and then when you have that, uh, kind of the, the common sense part of make sure it's on the, the right direction. Uh, most of all the weather seals in the industry do have a, a directional feature. Um, I know some are kind of a tapered cone design. Ours are two different diameters. So the, the larger diameter does go towards the connector side of things. Um, so just making sure that's all there. And then uh, making sure, of course, your connector is fully threaded on, corked, tightened, and it uh, does lock up. Um, some people might think the, the threads are able to seal, or uh, if you torque even harder, that's going to seal better. Uh, but that's where you know proper uh, port and uh, weather seal will do the, the best job to keep out all of the moisture from the front end of the connector. Yeah. So are there studies that have been done to show how well that weather seal works? And, and the only reason I'm asking yeah. is I see so many techs complain about the weather seal and then chuck it yeah. because they don't want to use it. And, and I'm wondering, you know, yeah. what, yeah. what is the value of that weather seal? Absolutely. Yeah. So our, our uh, test that we'll do to uh, qualify a uh, essentially a, a watertight solution is, is internally we'll do a red dye test uh, or a moisture ingress where essentially we'll create a, a two foot long jumper with connectors on each end, and those will be fully sealed off, uh, you know, making sure that the back end is sealed with no braid or anything sticking out, make sure the front end is sealed with either a external weather seal or a integrated weather seal. Uh, each end of that jumper goes into a vat of essentially red dyed solution or liquid. Uh, then that goes into a temp chamber that will actually temp cycle uh, from hot to cold for five days that then expand and contracts your material. A lot of you know, the jackets being PVC or PE, very you know, susceptible to that uh, expansion and contraction of temperatures. Then we'll take those out after five days, let them sit uh, dry. And uh, in anything that was there within the moisture standpoint, the water would evaporate, but the uh, red dye will permanently dye anything in there, uh, especially alongside of the braid, if it were to essentially create a, a suck up effect where if moisture does get in, you can actually see it start to travel up and through the rest of the cable. So then we'll take those out, break them apart, you know, take apart the connectors, cut open the jacket, and uh, truly test and, and verify that the, the weather shields, both uh, integrated and non-integrated, do protect it from any moisture ingress. Okay. So, so while we're yeah. talking about moisture ingress, one, I'll have to say one of the things that I see very frequently in like productive network maintenance is uh, any any splices in a drop, whether it's aerial or buried, 
those seem to be yeah. ones that uh, inevitably come up as showing homes as having you know micro reflections and stuff. Do you have recommendations mm-hmm. in actually you know is there a way to make a a splice in a drop whether it's aerial burl buried that is actually going to last for an extended period of time? Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's definitely I think kind of just using all the the core principles we've been talking about is. Uh, you know, the good cable side of things, good connectors, good F81 or barrel uh, connecting those two portions. And with the proper prep and everything, it should adequately last. Obviously, a true straight run or home run, uh, there's the best possible solutions. But uh, if you're properly installing everything there, uh, you should be able to achieve, you know, your your uh, desired level of performance. Okay. You know, and same thing on the, the ceiling side from a, a weather standpoint is everything should you know, be locked in tight there as well. All right. And some of those we'll actually see, uh, we actually do have uh, both indoor and outdoor ones there, kind of like I referenced before of uh, your outdoor, you'll have a nice ceiling surface for either the, the, the weather shield to go onto, whereas the uh, indoor ones will be fully threaded. And the reason there is you actually uh, kind of a dual use for the indoor. Not only does it not need that uh, ceiling surface, but you can use it in a wall plate. So it allows for, uh, that to be affixed within the wall plate, you of course have the thickness of the wall plate there. You need to uh, tighten it onto that. Uh, so that's where those additional threads come into play. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, yeah, last, last thing on the list was, uh, you know, short center conductor. Uh, pretty straightforward on that one of, uh, you know, center conductor is too short, won't be able to go into the uh, port or the device you're looking to connect to, and you're essentially going to have no signal going through but right because it's just not going to be it's not going to be touching to what it's supposed to be connecting with so you're 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 losing that (laughs) yeah obviously yeah you know i think it seemed like we were focusing most of this talk on f connectors and drop drop cable anything specific to hardline cable yeah yeah definitely um so on, on that side of things is is uh, when you're doing, um, especially like QR, when you have to worry about the jacket there is making sure that you're not uh, cutting any bit of the jacket. Uh, I think the, the most common one you want to see that or we want to check for there is uh, if any heat shrink is being used and you're replacing that connector or checking that connection is uh, during the removal of that heat shrink is that you don't score anything uh, from both a environmental and uh, even a, you know, integrity of the cable standpoint is if you really dug in there, you could uh, score some of that cable. You can really damage the outer conductor and potentially risk some other things there. Um, that's one of the little bit more uh, ones that we've seen kind of out there. Uh, in terms of the the prep and everything is, is yeah, same kind of the same theme as uh, the drop connector side of things is, is making sure that you have a good coring tool. If you're not scoring anything, it's, it's nice and centered. Uh, whether it's the hand tool or a, you know, making sure you have uh, a good new guide sleeve on the front there. Uh, we've seen sometimes if you have a, a worn out guide sleeve that will fit over the outer sheath or outer conductor of the hardline cable, that lets that travel a little bit. And then the tool doesn't line up quite exactly right. So it allows for the rest of the drill to go off center, especially with a cordless drill, everything's going a lot more quickly. Uh, with that worn out guide sleeve, and then you can either score parts of the outer conductor, even get into the center conductor, other possible uh, damage areas. That's a simple one of uh, just kind of paying attention and and see how the uh, prep tool fits over the cable and, you know, replacing a little plastic part that's, you know, maybe a dollar or two each time. Yeah, so from my experience, let me give you an example. Uh, We have uh, a new node called the iNode, Intelligent Node, where it uses some type of um, seizureless seizure, no seizure screw. Mm-hmm. So basically, like a Chinese finger puzzle, right? So the yeah. center conductor of the pin can go in and just kind of wrap around 360 degree connection. On the housing itself of the node, there mm-hmm. are guides to tell how long to cut the pin. So if people don't know like how long to cut the pin, obviously they can go too far in and actually ground out somewhere. Uh, yeah. If they're too short, then they're not going to get a good connection. But I've also seen where people cut the pin with maybe a dull pair of uh, dikes or uh, wire cutters, mm-hmm. and it kind of smashes out the end of the pin instead of being nice and round. So yeah. it kind of smashes the end, and you try to shove it in there, it might not go in very easily. 
So I've seen that, you know, as, as a, a concern as well. And then to okay. take that and know that our older line extenders still had seizure screws. So I could have a contractor thinking that all the line extenders are the same as the node and they're not. Meaning <laughs> if they take the pin and try to shove it into the line extender without pulling out the seizure screw, yeah. then obviously it's just going to bind up, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like understanding does the housing accept Seizure screws or seizure lifts, or and how long to cut the pin, and mm-hmm. so it's not just a connector; it's also attaching it to the devices themselves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, a, that's another another great point. All right, guys. Do you, do, uh, do you do, one more thing? Do you deal with uh, uh, the newer Node Plus Zero designs and centralized powering? Have you dealt anything with like the power feeder 625 cable? Anything yeah. with like the, the, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. So um, personally, I haven't uh, delved in that too much, but I'm still familiar with it. Uh, we have done some things here, but yeah, yeah, the power feeder cable, which is essentially a big solid copper center conductor, uh, able to feed that through and empower those nodes. All right, guys, we're coming up to the top of the hour here. Uh, I would give you an opportunity. John, I think you're going to be coming to Cable Tech Expo, right? Yep. Uh, I guess a, a, a plug for one of the workshops I'm in. I'm moderating a workshop with two gentlemen from Ayers Comscope, uh, John Ohm and uh, Tom Clinton. And uh, ours is Tuesday, I believe, at maybe 12 o'clock. Uh, we're doing a workshop on how to get to 10G, meaning 10 gigahertz, gigabits per second. I tell people, I'm like, we keep using this terminology loosely, like 5G. Does it mean fifth generation, five gigabit per second, or five gigahertz? You know, what does it mean? We keep throwing out these words in this nomenclature. It's all semantics, I guess, but it isn't. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, now 10G is where we're trying to go, but 10G in cable means 10 gigabit per second. Mm-hmm. We're not talking 10 gigahertz, right? We're talking 10 gigabits a second. But that's what my workshop's going to be on, is talking about how do we just increase more speed? How do we get more speed through DOCSIS? Cool. I'll attend, and I recommend everyone else does. Uh, Rich, how about, uh, I know PPC is going to be at the Expo. Any, anything you want to promote? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we'll have our uh, PPC booth there uh, and all of the uh, different you know drop connectors, cable, and everything we talked about, as well as our other full uh, product portfolio offerings, even the uh, fiber side of things. We'll have all at our booth there at uh, Expo. So uh, stop on by and check them out. All right. Sounds great. Um, guys, I want to thank both of you, John and Rich, for your time today. This was a, a really good episode. I, I enjoyed all the input. Our, epi- our next episode is episode 52 on October 8th. Um, it's going to be an SCT Expo recap. So we do our best every week to, or every month to try to bring our audience great technical content. Um, you can catch us on YouTube or on podcasts or on volpfirm.com slash events. Um, please do uh, click like if you, if you like what you're seeing. Click on the little bell on YouTube or subscribe to the podcast channel if you like what you see here. Um, thanks so much for being here, and we will see everyone next month. So thanks again and so long.